0: I'm Blake Hargreaves. Welcome to Future Stops. You're hearing Kit Downs, composer, ECM Records recording artist, and winner of a BBC Jazz Award. Known as a bit of a phenomenon for consistently presenting unique projects from solo pipe organ to numerous jazz groups, while recovering from an injury to his left hand, Downs composed 52 piano studies for right hand, one for each day of his recovery. Today on Future Stops, we speak to Kit Downs about his unique musical approach to the pipe organ, a story that begins as it so often does in England's rich choir tradition.
1: So I used to sing in a cathedral choir in the UK, in Norwich. Uh, We have a big um, history and tradition of uh, cathedral choirs or choir schools. So uh, I used to sing like six days a week and uh, with two services on Sunday. So I'd be in the church a lot. And in that particular cathedral in Norwich, which is in the east of England, there would be many different visiting organists playing the beautiful pipe organ there. And, uh, I started hearing it in services and enjoying the role that it had. Improvising a lot, in particular. And then I got lessons on it from a from the organist at Norwich Cathedral, who was Catherine Deanish, and she taught me how to orchestrate and technical things at the instrument, as well as some repertoire and things. And I got into improvising sort of through that route, through through playing um, in services. I started to play for a few local churches. That way for the services, and then because I was playing a lot of improvising, uh, my mum suggested that I might like jazz and gave me an Oscar and CD. And then I then I got into jazz piano and sort of didn't play organ for a little while until I sort of late twenties, and then I um, reignited my passion for the instrument, but playing um, my own music on it as well as sort of contemporary. Classical music and improvising again.
0: And how did you feel the the training on the organ informed the eventual transition into jazz and stuff as a as a young musician?
1: Training I had on the organ was sort of weirdly specific to the to the instrument rather than the repertoire, if you know what I mean. So it was it was really about learning how to to play functionally for a service. So playing psalms, hymns some repertoire but it was always a company choir and and the improvising that would take place in the service so i was learning a lot about orchestration about how the instrument works the history of the instrument how to use it um to its full effect and we we had a we have a beautiful harrison harrison four manual at the noise cathedral which is a, a, a big instrument and um, for me as a young age that was a nice exposure to a big technical instrument where I, where I learned some of those things pretty fast. Um, but I didn't necessarily learn a lot of repertoire back in those days. So it, it was sort of geared well towards improvising because I was I was learning techniques and tools that would facilitate uh, creative work that I was then doing a lot of in jazz later. So the, the two sort of had quite a natural um, connection uh, in my mind at that age.
0: Well, I love that the, the uh, jazz CD you got was a Canadian artist. Um, was Oscar Peterson enough to to turn you on to jazz completely? Was that, or was there was the ground already fertile for that?
1: No, actually, I hadn't really checked out jazz. I'd had sort of quite sheltered musical upbringing, so it was quite a lot of classical music. I played the cello as well, and and obviously singing all that repertoire every day from from age seven till twelve. So I, I, I didn't, I hadn't come across jazz in a meaningful way until that point, but I really did fall in love with Oscar Beats and uh, particularly, I mean, I heard other records around that time as well, but that, that stayed with me, the piano sound and the time feel were things that really connected with me at that point. Cause it was, it was also something that I wasn't really getting from the classical music that I was doing that kind of feeling of groove and time feel and that touch, that way of playing. Um, sort of scratched an itch that I didn't know I had until that point and then after that I got into Herbie Hancock and Keith Jarrett and the Cologne concert and things like that uh, and the way that he improvises freely and then you know once you have a few of those CDs the sort of floodgates open and you look at who's on what record and there's so much um, crosstalk between them in terms of personnel that you end up just diving in fully from that point on
0: And so jazz became the center of your life for your late teens and 20s, basically?
1: Yeah, exactly. I went to a music school when I was 15 to study uh, composition and jazz called the Purcell School, which was from 15 to 19. And then I went to the Royal Academy of Music, um, the uh, conservatoire in London, uh, to study jazz piano and um, composition there. Uh, and until that that point, I hadn't sort of I hadn't been playing the organ since I was sort of fifteen. Then I, I was an organ scholar at at St Peter Mancraft in Norwich until I was about fifteen. And then once I left for that music school, I sort of stopped playing organ for a while, and as you said, just submerged myself in jazz fully and all the different styles and approaches of that. And that continued well past when I was out of music college as well. When I I started touring with bands started touring around Europe and the States and playing with older musicians that were sort of mentor figures in a way. And it was only when I was really searching for another way of improvising and a different sound, because I've never really enjoyed playing electronic keyboards or synths. I've always liked acoustic instruments, and um, that meant that I didn't really get to explore sound beyond the sort of piano beyond what I could do um, on the piano so uh, then the, the, and the opportunity for a residency came up at St. Paul's in Huddersfield to do with the, the Contemporary Music Festival there and myself and Tom Challenger a saxophone player that I play with a lot started to just work together on the organ for an hour um, sorry for um for a week this was when I was about 26 27 and uh, and then the things came back to me that I thought I'd forgotten, like how to pedal properly and how to voice things and uh, orchestrational things. And I, I found it quite quickly to get back to get back into it and to enjoy improvising in a way that I couldn't do before because I hadn't learned all of these things about harmony that I'd learned from jazz uh, since. And it's not that I play jazz on the organ far from it. Um, it's definitely not that, but it definitely borrows things from from harmonic concepts, from um, from that vast array of music.
0: Downs returns to the pipe organ on his 2018 release Obsidian, an album of solo organ music commissioned by ECM Records. Recorded in three different churches, threads of jazz can be heard in the punchy confidence of some of the melodies, while at other times contemporary and music concrete elements take over completely.
1: Yeah, I guess it's a lot of jazz. I would say it's also a lot of a lot of Messian and also particularly um, sort of French Romantic composers that wrote for organ, like Vienne and uh, Durufle, and uh, also more modern composers like Ligeti. And uh, so I, I do love classical music, and that that is sort of the first music that I was exposed to and fell in love with when I was when I was very young. So. I... I guess it sort of meets somewhere in between those two things for me, or that's how I see it. But definitely in the jazz world, I was inspired by is a is a Norwegian organist called Stolle Stolarkan, who's who lives in Trondheim and uh, he plays organ very beautifully. There's also a Norwegian organist called Niels Henrik Asheim from Stavanger. There's uh, a an, an organist who's sort of more from the classical tradition who teaches at Stuttgart. Um Conservatoire called Jurgen Essel, but he's a fantastic improviser um and i I guess the more I started doing solo organ concerts, the more I started meeting people that were interested in exploring the organ uh, in, in sort of quite a modern way, especially in terms of the sonic capabilities of it and and maybe abstracting and subverting some of the normalized aesthetics and associations of the instrument but but not completely to the point where it sort of becomes drone music. I mean, I love that approach too, and people like Ellen Arkbro and Callie Malone are very interesting too, but I, I sort of felt like um, I still wanted quite a lot of instrument uh, instrumentalism uh, in the music, so it sort of felt like a, a real using the organ and all as much of the organ as I could uh, in an interesting way, uh, rather than sort of paring it down to sort of um you know the sound of one eight foot flute and focusing in on that in a sort of um, sound design kind of way i mean that's super interesting too um but i think i wanted to try and find a way between those two worlds it's <laughs> to me it feels a bit like a lot of the modern music written for that for the organ is is either very much in that sound design world where it where it's almost treated like a synth um and then the other side is is from a much more classical sideway improvisation isn't maybe used quite so much and it's and it's very technical and not so much focused on the sound design so i think i was always trying to tread the path between those two things a bit um and the people that do that are the are the people that i'm really inspired by
0: and in terms of subver- subverting those tropes in with your musical language what about uh is there any kind of conceptual um aspect to you know when you were you're playing in these sacred spaces. Do you have any reflections on that in how you you know, named the record or structured the record or anything like that? I mean,
1: it, the church was a big part of my upbringing, but I'm not religious myself, but I, I have such a strong association with the feeling and the mood of those buildings and positive ones. I mean, it, the, uh, doing sort of um, a service every day for an hour in such a beautiful building as Norwich Cathedral I think I did sort of um, did encourage a certain sort of self-reflective side of myself at a young age, I guess. <clears throat> and I associate that with those spaces and with the instrument in a way. Um, but in terms of the the sort of the, the conceptual hook that I hung the record on, it was actually I'd been very interested in volcanic processes. And I'd also been to Iceland quite a bit recording on interesting organs there um, and the, somehow those sort of uh, those ideas of very gradual enormous change followed by very sudden eruptions were in my head and um, it, it felt sort of synonymous with this very old enormous beast <laughs> to be playing on and and uh, what I was trying to catch about that record was both this sort of very uh, intimate and very um this kind of intimate sound which is why we recorded it all as, as sort of close mic as we could um especially on the smaller instruments but also then the grandeur of when you're really playing tutti and you're filling the whole um like some of the tracks on the bigger organ uh, on that record so it's sort all of felt in a similar world to that and i i also like the idea of equating that instrument to something organic and almost like a um uh, its own entity in a way with it, with its own sort of uh, like controlling uh, like it, what's the word I'm trying to say like a symbiosis between you and another sort of organic entity almost that you, rather than controlling this uh, machine it sort of feels like these organs have such strong characters often um, such rich, rich histories for their own right as well as who's played them and what music's been played on them they, they have such strong identities Uh, from how they're made and who's made them. And often they've moved between different churches and changed a bit in the process and things have been added and taken away. And Often the ones also particularly that are older and some things don't work as well as they should, they allow some very surprising sounds and textures to be available to you, um, which give it such a strong uh, character and a a personality in a way. Because all the concerts that I do are, are pretty much... They're nearly all improvised. I mean, sometimes there are sort of themes that I borrow from concert to concert, but it's um, it's pretty improvised. So I, I do treat it a bit like a blank slate and I kind of enjoy that about the challenge, especially because, you know, I've been playing some of these sour organs, the wind dynamic organs in, in Basel and places in, in Switzerland and um it's Like I'm um, all the time, or, or Orgel Park in Amsterdam, where they've got this new technology that can uh, do tremolo on each individual pipe, and you can adjust the speed of the tremolo and you can freeze it. And it is incredible the developments, especially in modern instruments. And I think I don't want to develop a too fixed program in a way, because I would feel like I'm slightly missing out on the fun of trying to explore these new things that all those different organs um, can do. I think I also get asked to play on those slightly um, stranger organs uh, because of the music I'm making. So it's sort of a bit chicken and egg in a way, I guess. Um, But I I also really love when I get to play a big cathedral organ like the Cologne Dome or something like that, like a big historic, beautiful instrument that speaks great in the room and is pretty much... uh, I mean, Cologne has been touched, but I'm just thinking of, I don't know, just a big cathedral organ that that hasn't really been changed a lot in many years. That's super fun to play. And it brings out a different type of thing in my playing than than a very small intimate instrument where you can really mess with certain things with the wind pressure. And again, it's that balance between sort of sound design and technical content. And that's the sort of fluid gauge that you can judge when you arrive with the instrument and see what's possible. And, and I like both those things. as uh, so it's sort of, um, I like the the difference, it keeps me interested. I've also got a pretty short attention span, so it's good. I think if I, if, I, if I was playing the same instrument and the same music each time I did a concert, I think I'd probably get fed up pretty quick just because of knowing how I am.
0: ECM Records produced a follow-up album with Downs in 2019 called Dream Life of Debris contrasting the intimacy of the previous solo album with something much broader, featuring Downs playing in several different ensembles. After delving into the pipe organ alone to explore ideas under a microscope with Obsidian, Dream Life of Debris seems to be an act of integration, incorporating the organ with the rest of Downs' practice.
1: The Obsidian felt like a... That's the one record I think I've ever made where I really felt like I was sort of on the edge of... Uh, what i felt really comfortable doing in a way and i think dream life of debris was bringing that back into a more comfortable zone albeit one that is um not recorded live so there's a lot of overdubbing and a lot of editing on dream life of debris and it's it's sort of weirdly a studio album featuring organ that was the idea i had in my head for it and i did want it to all sort of feel slightly like um hazy and dreamlike and underwater and I think that sort of dictated the tone of the record. Also, particularly because of the sort of quote that I linked it to, the Sebold quote from um, well, it's about it's someone talking about rings of Saturn, actually. Um, but there's this author, W. G. Seabold, who was uh, a German um, uh, immigrant from uh, who landed in Norwich. And taught at the university there, wrote very book, a very beautiful book called The Rings of Saturn, and it was inspiring for me. It's about a sort of walking tour through East Anglia, but it's, um, I mean, that's the the hook that it's hung on. But it's really about lots of different things, and uh, his the sort of connections he make makes with the landscape are, um, are very tangential and very creative and very interesting, and it's sort of just a it's like a peek into the mind, into a brilliant mind, basically. And I found that quite inspiring. And it sort of also felt weirdly similar to what I was doing with Obsidian, in that we were sort of, we were going around these different rural areas in um, in the same kind of part of the world that he did, and trying to make loose connections between seemingly disparate instruments and styles. And that was a, a continuation of the process in Dream Life of Debris, just with a bigger. Ensemble and, and um, also trying to blend the the role of the change and blend the role of the organ as well. So it could it could be small and it could be supporting a, a soloistic voice, or it could take over, or, or it could be sound design, or or it could be right at the front and center and be a solo instrument again. So I, it was sort of me, me trying to play with what I thought the the role could be with, with the music that I'd written. Uh, tell us about this
0: uh, piece Bodes Bodes from Dream Life of Debris. Um, about the the structure and and who's playing on it and what the concept in terms of what context you were taking the organ into exploring on that particular piece.
1: Um, well, the, all the tunes are named after galaxies, so Pinwheel Bodes Twin um, things like this. Anyway, they're all they're all galaxy names, M7 things like that. And uh, bodes in particular was uh, a mix of some written material at the start, which is myself, Tom Challenger, and Steen Vesterhus, guitarist, um, from also from Trondheim, and then uh, it sort of bleeds into a, a section of an improvisation that we made together, where um, I was manipulating the air pressure just through the the mechanical action of the keyboards just by very lightly pressing to different degrees uh, on the tootie. Um, but of course, you don't get the full tootie sound at all because it only send, sends a very small amount of air through the biggest pipes. Um, so it, it's you get these strange whistles and they're, they're, they're kind of, you can loosely work around pitch sets, but some of them can be pretty random. And it was an improvisation based on that sound that found its way into something more tonal at the end. And that was the result of just a few weeks of editing the material and trying um, different um, different ways of blending them together, and some really happy, um, fortunate uh, lineups of harmony as well at different points as well. Um, and that when you when you sort of edit two things together and they somehow land on the same chord at the same time, or or a unison between two instruments that from different takes, even different rooms feels like that you have to go with it if the if the um if that chance element has been has worked out in some way it feels like that's the right path forward so it was just yeah uh, that was the sort of process of coming up with that
0: so when we listen to it are we listening to a sonic collage or did you use collage to then write a score
1: no uh it was a bit so sort of a bit chicken and egg really uh, i mean in that there, there was a pre-existing score but then the 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 sort of form of what event happens where and how it leads into other things uh, was kind of retroactively designed through what content I knew I had I had to go through all of the improvisations and learn each section, like to be able to remember things, to be able to call them up quickly, when I was picking where to edit between, so I sort of learnt the the three days session and then use them like building blocks and bits of material.
0: You're listening to the Future Stops podcast, an initiative of the Royal Canadian College of Organists. My name is Blake Hargreaves, and I'm your host as we explore the world of the 21st century organ. We just heard today's feature piece, an excerpt from Bodes, by Kit Downs, from Dream Life of Debris. Besides the painstaking work of making these albums, sometimes spending months on post-production, Downs is also a very active working performer and we were able to catch him backstage right before a gig with one of his many ongoing
1: live projects. The gig tonight is with the guitarist sitting opposite me called Rainier Bass. He's, um a fantastic Dutch guitarist, got great hair, um, writes beautiful compositions, and then there's a drummer called Jonas Bergwinkel, and I'm playing Hammond organ. Uh, and that's, It's sort of a Hammond organ trio, playing original music that comes a bit more from either sort of classical music or kind of beat music. It's not really very jazzy or or bluesy in a way. Um, and I play the Hammond organ quite like I play the church organ in a way. Uh, quite different to sort of Jimmy Smith things or stuff like that. But um, but we had a record come out uh, yesterday called Dead Eye. So this is the launch gig. Playing
0: the Hammond in a style with church influences in the context of a jazz band this seems to describe a radical musical crossover concept. But it's not so surprising when we hear the same story time and again of career musicians in every genre who begin their musical life in church. From Whitney Houston and Justin Timberlake to past guests of ours like Charlemagne Palestine and Amina Myers, it seems that the expansive sound of the organ offers inspiration to musicians of every bent. And the act of singing at a young age seems to infuse their very bones with the language. As the popularity of the organ continues to grow in the mainstream music world, Kit Down's albums Obsidian and Dream Life of Debris, and ongoing work with the instrument, contribute a wonderful window to the prism of the organ's contemporary life and resurgence. In his work, the instrument ties together different threads of music history and expression, an unexpected and welcome surprise. We'd like to thank Kit Downs for joining us today. We'd love it if you would join us too on social media at Future Stops and Future Stops Podcast, where you can bring your voice to the conversation. And if you like what we're doing and want to help us support the exciting and unique world of the 21st Century organ, we have a Patreon account where you can do just that. Many podcasts are funded with this type of monthly subscription and your contribution will be gratefully accepted and acknowledged. Go to patreon.com slash futurestops to learn more. Future Stops is a podcast from the Royal Canadian College of Organists produced by Andrew O'Connor with Sanjay Parker as community manager and executive producer Elizabeth Shannon. I'm your host, Blake Hargreaves.